going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's Welcome to another episode of the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn, joined by Austin Meek. We're getting ready for Oregon's Pac-12 opener on Saturday night at Arizona State. Uh, the Ducks off to a nice 3-0 start. Sun Devils struggling a little bit, so it should be an interesting opener. And uh, this week's guest, someone familiar with the Pac-12, longtime scribe Ted Miller. Uh, now, I understand, uh, involved in higher education. Ted, how are you doing? <laughs> Outstanding. How are you guys doing? Great. Uh, do you miss Duck fans yet? <laughs> you know, uh, having uh, been between that Oregon-Washington rivalry for so long, uh, I, I, I think I was able to reach a, a nice equilibrium between Huskies and Duck fans. And uh, as I, I tell both audiences as much as I can, my one desire is to have the Oregon-Washington rivalry uh, decide something. Uh, for the Pac-12 and maybe even the national picture for the top 10 matchup. I think that's paradise for all of us who uh, uh, know the Northwest and cover Pac-12 football and love, love great rivalries. So, yes, I do miss the Duck fans some, and I, and I, and I, I think it's interesting seeing that there's, there's a tentativeness right now in terms of that they haven't started gloating yet, but I think that they feel like they, they, that the program's got its feet back under it and uh, – uh, it's reverse course after a couple of of, uh, of years of, of decline. Yeah, well, let's start with that. Uh, what, what's your sense, watching from afar, of what Willie Taggart's got going at Oregon? I think around here the expectations were very tempered. Um, you know, among most rational people, I, I should give that caveat. Obviously, you know, the, the diehards were hoping for a quick turnaround, but um, I think. Probably a lot of people have been uh, maybe pleasantly surprised by what they've seen from Oregon early on this season. What, what's your thought on that? Um, do you think that's maybe a little bit of a, a mirage, or are you buying the Ducks as just maybe kind of a, a dark horse contender? Well, you know, it's hard to say in terms of how high you're aiming. Are, are you aiming to get back to respectability and then make the next step? Are you looking at an eight or nine win season this year, and then getting back into the range of uh, 10, 11 plus wins in, you know, in 2018 with Justin Herbert as a, as a junior, uh, you know, you get greedy and uh, you know, if, if, if they, they trounce ASU and Cal and, and go to Washington state, people will start thinking, you know, high national rankings will be coming around and, you know, people will start imagining the Chip Kelly days, and, and they may not be there yet in terms of uh, talent and personnel, particularly on defense. But, you know, they've got a legit defensive coordinator now who's who's doing some really nice things over there. I was just looking over the numbers, and I know if Nick Aliotti was still there, the first thing he would point to was yards per play. And he's got that back down to 4.27 yards per play and, and, and third in the Pac-12. And that's a legitimate number against a pretty legitimate early season schedule. I mean, I think Nebraska is in, is in the dominant program, obviously after what happened against Northern Illinois, but that's a good solid big 10 team with a nice tradition and a road game at Wyoming. I mean, going in, that was supposed to be a little bit of a trap game and the ducks took care of business. So at this point right now, you've got to feel like that, that all steam ahead. I mean, they've got, they're, they're running the ball like they did under Chip Kelly. 
They've got a great quarterback. They've got an offensive line that's playing well. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot to be worried about right now. Are they ready to compete at the top of the Pac-12? I mean, obviously that brings bringing up Washington right now. And I would say that that, that that game is definitely more interesting. I mean, they've got to get to November 4th first. But, you know, if they get to Seattle in a pretty good position, it's, it's very possible that that could, that could have some relevance in the North Division. I still think it seems to me that the Huskies and USC are just a little bit uh, – a little bit. There's a little bit of distance between them and the rest of the Pac-12. With you know, I was on a podcast the other day with John Wilner, and we were talking about who is the number three team in the Pac-12 right now. And I think there's a whole group vying for that position, and Oregon's among that group. Oregon and uh, and Utah and Colorado, the teams that haven't lost yet, I guess would be you know, say Washington State, and uh, and that and you know we've got lots of Pac-12 schedule ahead to decide that, but. Uh, you know, it's, I think that some Duck fans are probably pretty close to saying, you know, we feel like we're a threat in the North. But uh, let's see what they do in the the next couple of games against very winnable uh, uh, Pac-12 games at ASU and then against Cal. Well, Ted, obviously Royce Freeman has been on Oregon's team since uh, the Carter administration. It seems like um, we all know that we all know that Royce is, you know, a very good football player. And now that he's healthy, that really. Um, helps Willie Taggart out a lot, but I've been really impressed with Justin Herbert, only a true sophomore, really took his lumps last year, starting with that 70-21 to 21 loss to Washington. Um, what a bright future this guy seems to have. What, what are your thoughts about Justin Herbert, uh, Eugene Guy, Sheldon High Guy, High guy and, and what Willie Taggart might be able to accomplish with this kid? Well, uh, first of all, for Royce, uh, Royce Freeman, I, I was—I uh, didn't realize how many touchdowns he had. I just looked at y'all's story that you had the other day about how you know it seems like he's in line to break Ken Simonton's uh, uh, record of 59 t- career touchdowns. So, wow, that's that's pretty impressive. And you know, uh, eclipsing a Beaver is always a nice thing for I guess Oregon folk. Uh, in terms of Herbert, I mean, it just you know, I guess in some ways the one thing you worried about was okay, so he was so poised last year as this almost nobody recruit. As a true freshman, is he going to have that proverbial sophomore slump? Well, the, the early returns are absolutely not that, that, that he's actually progressing. And you know, you look at him six foot six, two hundred twenty-five plus pounds, and he looks like an NFL guy. And it's funny you think about Oregon's quarterbacks. I mean, Marcus Mariota was a nobody in Hawaii. I mean, the whole story of how you know he was discovered out of the blue uh, by Mark Elfrich. And, you know, you got to give credit to these two guys, Justin Herbert, also, uh, you know, recruited by Mark Elfrich. So, you know, it, it shows you that, that he is, is, is has much reach as the recruiting services have now, that guys go under the radar, guys who are, are not only going to be great quarterbacks in college, but great quarterbacks early on. I mean, Marcus was, a, was an outstanding quarterback as a redshirt freshman, and now you got one who's a, who's a true sophomore who looks like he's ready to compete at the highest level. So, uh, you know, I, from what I've seen from him so far, the amount of poise he showed last year under horrible circumstances, by the way, uh, you know, with a, an incredibly young offensive line or a coach under fire under a team that just looked directionless, he played pretty darn well. Now that the, 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 the locker room seems to be unified, it seems like everybody's kind of on the same page with Willie Taggart. Uh, he's, he's spreading his wings further. So, you know, we're going to see. We're going to see if he can put up those huge numbers and become a guy – that, that is not only a, a, an all-Pac-12 type, but also a guy who gets some national recognition. But all steam ahead for him right now. I mean, he looks great. Ted, part of the reason we wanted to have you on this week is you live in Arizona, and you're teaching a class at Arizona State right now, actually, as I understand it. And uh, the Ducks play ASU on, on Saturday. 
What is the mood on the ground and on campus around this Arizona State team right now? seems like Todd Graham was pretty squarely um, on the hot seat going into the season and the early returns, losing at home to San Diego State, um, losing on the road to Texas Tech, even though they did come back in the fourth quarter of that game. Um, what, what's the mood among people uh, around the ASU program right now? Well, they're one and two for the first time since 99, so I, it can't be too high. I mean, the, the, the sleeping giant looks like it's going back to sleep after Todd Graham had a, a, a brief, brief awakening. I, I have a student uh, who has, has been covering Todd Graham's press conferences on Monday, and he just said that it's, the, the past two have been a little bit surreal. I mean, uh, two weeks ago after the San Diego State game, things were just almost depressingly sad, and, and, and they're trying to spin it that the comeback against Texas Tech shows the team's still fighting, shows the team still has some heart. But, I mean, I, I think ASU fans that, that saw what happened, the defense has, you know, the hiring of Phil Bennett, who came from Baylor, who's, a, who's got a good resume as a defensive coordinator, has done some great things in a variety of programs, including Kansas State and the heyday under Bill Schneider, has not gotten that thing going uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, the, I, I was looking at the numbers wanting to quantify it, but it's just – the bottom line is they're just bad. I mean, they're still attacking. they still got a bunch of sacks, but they're bad against the run. They're bad against the pass. They're still giving up big plays. And good, good luck on third down because they're the worst team on third down in the whole country right now, giving up, uh, what is it, uh, 54.5% on, uh, third down conversion. So they're not doing anything well. And then adding insult to injury there is that Karan Crump, probably their best defensive player, the guy who gets all their sacks, is going to be out against Oregon and, and, and maybe out for the season. So – in the preseason, I said that I thought the Territorial Cup uh, between Arizona and Arizona State, Rich Rod versus Todd Graham, two coaches don't particularly like each other, two programs that don't like each other, I thought that the loser of that game would lose his job, definitely. And now, you know, you may see two new coaches in the state. But uh, right now, I, things are kind of in the doldrums for Todd Graham and Arizona State. But, you know, the, the warning to the Ducks is, is they listen to that, they go, oh, man, we got this in the bag. You know, we're going on the road to the desert. It's all cool. It's all chill. And you relax. And, and, you know, that fight that the Arizona State had against Texas Tech translates against the Ducks. And, you know, or, Arizona State can score some points. Manny Wilkins is a good quarterback. And they've got some, some good players, including Nikhil Harry. they got some problems on their offensive line. But they can make some big plays in the passing game. So if, if Oregon comes in complacent, I don't think they will. But if they do, this could be, a, a, you know, a trap game. And uh, – that would be the measure of a program like Oregon that's trying to get its feet back under them. These kind of games that you think uh, that don't seem very inspiring, those are the ones you kind of measure teams as they recover themselves. Is, is that, you know, when Oregon plays Washington, it's going to get up for that game. There's going to be no issue about being flat. This game, you've got to wonder, is it possible that after a nice 3-0 start, the Ducks maybe let up a little bit? And, and that would be the big question. If they don't, they win this game big. So, that's the question. I mean, that's the only question I've got in terms of how this game plays out. I agree with you. The bits and pieces I've seen of Arizona State this year, I, I like their quarterback, like their skill players. My question about Arizona State, I mean, Todd Graham is a defensive coach, and the last few years they've been as bad or worse at defense than Oregon. <laughs> Helfrich, at least, was focused on offense. I mean, what is Todd Graham, what, what happened after those 10-win seasons that he, his side of the ball just is a failure right now. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's funny. When they they were playing well, he was quick to, to take a lot of credit 
for, for the, the defensive success. This is, yeah, this is my scheme. This is my attacking scheme. Well, what happened was this is the Pac-12, and coaches on offense know what they're doing. So they said, okay, if you're going to be doing these jailbreak glitches and all this fancy stuff, we're going to find weak spots in your coverage, and we're going to exploit it. And we've got the quarterbacks in this conference that can do that. Now, this isn't the SEC. I mean, this is the Pac-12. The quarterbacks can do stuff when you give them openings in the secondary. Uh, and you've seen that. What happened? They figured out that defense, and the quality of the offensive pass game just produced big play after big play. Arizona State was still getting a bunch of sacks and tackles for a loss, but they're also giving up more plays of 20-plus yards than any team in the country over the past uh, previous two years. They're a little bit better on that right now, but they're still giving up uh, uh, 15 plays uh, of over 20 yards. So this far this season, they gave a whole bunch of long play pass plays against Texas Tech. I mean, everybody does that against Texas Tech, but it's, they just haven't cured that. And I, I think that's what happened is that even though Phil Bennett is supposedly running the defense, he did you know, kind of have a meeting of minds with Todd Graham. And uh, it, whatever they're doing schematically, whatever tweaks they've made, haven't really worked thus far. And in some ways, you've got to start saying just some of these players that they thought were good, maybe they aren't so good. And, uh, you know, without Coran Crump, who's a legitimate, he was all Pac-12 guy last year. Without him, who's kind of their anchor guy, I, I don't know how that defense gets much better. I mean, it's hard to get a unit that's playing as badly as they are completely reversed four games into the season. And, and we'll see. I mean, maybe that there's some magical fairy dust that's going to appear, but I, I doubt it, seriously. I think that if Arizona State's going to have anything to do this year in terms of winning games in the Pac-12, they're going to have to win with 45 and 50 points. What was the reaction locally when Arizona State hired Phil Bennett? You know, I, I went to school at Kansas State. I've followed his career, um, you know, since the beginning, and I know he's a really respected respected defensive coordinator. Um, but to hire a guy from Baylor uh, with everything that had gone on at Baylor, uh, you know, you'd think if you're going to stick your neck out like that, it it really had better work, and, and it hasn't so far. Um, is 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 maybe the leash even a little bit shorter because Todd Graham did take a risk hiring a guy from Baylor and it, it hasn't panned out? Well, I, I don't know how long the, the leash is on Phil Bennett because I think the leash is very short on Todd Graham. So I, I think Phil Bennett got hired knowing that, that if they didn't get things done this year uh, that he might be looking for a new job next year. So that's part of the reason he's probably there. Um I, you know, it's, it's a challenging situation. The, that, that, that Baylor situation is a dumpster fire. I mean, uh, ESPN did some great work on that and just showing you just to the extent of, 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 of the, the, the spinning moral compass of the leadership there from the football program to the athletic administration to the school president. I mean, at every level, Baylor failed its student body, its, particularly its female students, in terms of protecting them and, and, and holding accountable some guys who are behaving terribly. And, you know, Arizona State got a lot of scrutiny early on hiring Phil Bennett. Uh, you know, he checked out. They said that they did all the due diligence and there was nothing in any of the uh, reports that directly implicated Phil Bennett. And, and i got to be straight up on the podcast, and I've told people this too, and I told my ESPN editors when I went out to, you know, I was sicked on Phil Bennett after he was hired to do a story about him. I said, look, there's a lot of coaches I've known well through the years, and Phil Bennett is, is a guy that I, I first talked to in 1999, right after his first wife died uh, while jogging, struck by lightning. Uh, you probably remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was a it was just a, one of these incredibly shocking stories. He and I had just like this kind of heart to heart talk about all things not football related, 
at that Holiday Bowl when they played Washington in ninety. Uh, I guess it was ninety nine. And uh, so I just I've, I've always I've known him. I've, I haven't really kept that close in touch with him, but I have a relationship with him. So it's kind of difficult for me personally to stomach the idea that Phil Bennett, who has a daughter, uh, maybe has more than one, but I've met one, and, is, and is, is a guy I've really respected and liked through the years, could have been involved in any type of cover-up or shifting of stuff. And the times I've talked to him about it, he's adamantly, adamantly denied it. And the, the biggest thing Phil Bennett ran into in terms of his personal problems there was he, he joined that group that defended Art Bryles. And Art Bryles deserved no defense. And, and Phil and I kind of went back and forth at the bowl game here uh, this past uh, January or December uh, when they, they beat Bo- Baylor beat Boise State about that. But, you know, later on I talked to him and he says, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm just – I'm exhausted by it. I've made some mistakes in, you know, what I said to the media and I'm trying to just move past it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. I mean, it really is. And, and when you have a scandal of that size, it touches a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of times there is no innocence. But uh, – you know, it's difficult. And uh, football is, is much less important than that whole Baylor scandal in the big picture. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that Phil Bennett's defense is not playing well, uh, I don't think has any connection to that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very likely that he'll be looking for another job next, next fall if things don't turn around quickly. So, you know, I, I, that's a long, long, long answer to your, your question there. But, uh, you know, it, it has been something that's gotten scrutiny, and, and rightfully so. And, uh, if he were, if, if that defense were being more successful right now, I'm sure people would have might have moved on. But it still is going to be a lingering issue because you know people are looking for reasons to be unhappy, and that's certainly a reason to be unhappy. Well, there's uh, no easy way to segue out of Baylor, but uh, let's try and do it anyway. Um, what are some some great storylines you've noticed from the Pac-12 this year? I think Justin Wilcox comes to mind as a positive. Uh, maybe uh, Oregon State, a little bit of a disappointment. Um, what are some storylines that have surprised you or that you think are, are really cool in the Pac-12 this year? Well, you know, I, I would uh, start off with the two teams that, uh, you know, we, we, you mentioned Wilcox at Cal, 3-0. and No one saw that coming. I mean, they've beaten solid teams from the ACC and SEC. I mean, I know Ole Miss is dealing with its own set of massive scandals and coach firings and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but still, that's that's a legitimate ACC, SEC team that's been you know in the top ten in the past couple of years. And UNC has been a very good football team in the ACC, and they beat them both. And no one saw that coming. I thought Cal was the only sure thing in the Pac-12 this year in terms of it would be last. And conversely, I, I would say I thought Oregon State was was ready to make a move, uh, ready to move up. And uh, I just thought they were just going to be a, a a rugged team this year, taking on the the, the personality of their coach. And it just didn't come together. I mean, they just kind of got pushed around in the opener, and uh, it's just been disappointment at, at, since then. So, you know, those are the two surprises. I thought or- Cal was a definite bottom of the Pac-12 North, bottom of the Pac-12, and Oregon State was rising, and, and that would be the wrong thing. And then Oregon uh, immediately establishing itself as a contender, I think, is another story. Uh, but ultimately right now is, is, like I said earlier, is I think that we're trying to figure out, is there a third elite team in the Pac-12? USC and Washington, preseason expectations very high. Top ten teams in the preseason remaining the top two teams in the conference from a national perspective. They don't play this fall in the regular season, so everybody's kind of penciling in that Pac-12 championship game between a top ten Washington team and a top ten USC team. Well, is there somebody out there that's going to say, hey, wait a second, is there a team that could – 
insert itself into that 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 scenario. Is is there a team in the North that's going to take down Washington? Well, the Washington State Cougars believe they can do that. The Oregon Ducks believe they can do that. At the beginning of the season, I thought Stanford was the most legitimate threat, but they don't look like they've got it together right now. So we'll see. Maybe they start to improve as the season wears on. But and in the South, I mean Utah. I, I think Utah has finally got a quarterback in Tyrell Huntley who looks like a, a legitimate player in the pass and the run game, they could be a threat. I think that they're maybe a little bit underrated right now. I think they lost a lot of good guys. They sent, what, nine draft picks to the NFL. People were wondering what's going to happen to uh, uh, Kyle Whittingham's crew, and they're playing good football down there. And, and maybe we were too quick to write off Colorado. So it's the question of who is going to challenge the two front runners, and is there any possibility of someone inserting itself into the Pac-12 race and getting that Pac-12 championship game and making itself a playoff contender? And, and you know, also, I guess at this point, with I think tangential to all this is the fact that the Big 12 is suddenly looking like a rejuvenated conference. I mean, I, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are two teams that have, have impressed me significantly this year. And why that's relevant for the Pac-12 is the Big 12 and Pac-12 are the only two conferences that have been dealing with this getting left out of the playoff. So with five Power Five conferences and four playoff spots, somebody's going to get the shaft. And people are already writing in Clemson and Alabama. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, you know, the way Oklahoma and Oklahoma State playing Bedlam looks like an elimination game. And, and you know, they have a Big 12 championship game this year, too. And it, are they going to leave out the Big Ten champ? Would that be possible? So I think that the, the, the Pac-12 fans have got to wonder – how it's all going to stack up and whether the conference will be represented. And why that matters to everybody is money, because you want to have that playoff spot and you want to have that major bowl game, uh, the Rose Bowl, you know, because that means an extra, you know, uh, is it like $5 million for the conference. It's split up evenly between 12 teams. So it, it, that, that affects everyone. That's not just a matter of I'm a Cal fan. I could care less about who plays uh, in the college football playoff or not. No, everybody wants the Pac-12 to get that daily double where they get two teams like, for example, they did last year. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm not sure either uh, Washington or USC especially distinguished themselves uh, <laughs> in non-conference play, so some, some Pac-12 people probably going to be a little bit nervous seeing uh, some teams around the country like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, who are looking like pretty legitimate playoff contenders. But, well, Ted, we really appreciate your time here. It's great to catch up with you. We love reading your stuff at ESPN and look forward to reading your stuff again somewhere soon. Um, in the meantime, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll see you down the road. Awesome. Appreciate you inviting me. Take care.